The greatest saga of all time is coming to the big screen in spectacular 3D. Experience the wonder. You refer to the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the force. The excitement. You believe it's this boy? The force is unusually strong with him. The adventure. At last, we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last, we will have revenge. Oh, my. This February, experience Star Wars like never before. Whoa! Just hang on! Wipe them out. All of them. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace 3D. Only on the big screen, February 10th, 2012. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. I sense a disturbance in the Force. You always sense a disturbance in the Force. We're doomed. Fojo! Two! I don't like this. Really pissed me off. Oh no! <laughs> it's a trap! Chewie, get us out of here! You can't run. Together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Hey, we don't serve their kind here. Hello and welcome back to Star Wars Monthly Monday. This is the February edition. It's what we're up to number 38 now. 38. And that that mellifluous voice that you hear floating out through your uh, headphones is, <laughs> is my co-host Scott Gardner. <laughs> Yeah, mellifluous my ass. <laughs> I'm all stuffed up and I've been dying with a cold for like the last week and a half. But uh, but thank you anyway. I appreciate it. The voice that. like melted butter. And I'm Chris Honeywell with a voice <laughs> like glass and gravel. <laughs> and I'm Chris Honeywell. Apparently I sound like a drunken surfer guy from uh, from California to, to folks in the UK, according to Andy Leyland. They Although got, Andy no, Leyland, he, so, he sounds like a shoeshine boy to me, you know. Just, <laughs> Hello, Goldner! <laughs> <laughs> See, I was just going to go the opposite end of the spectrum and say they got no room to talk because every one of them sounds like this should be on Masterpiece Theater, but you actually went to the low end. That's hysterical. <laughs> Here then, give me a tuppence. Tuppence, I'll, I'll lick the shoe right off there, Governor. <laughs> hip hip or something British like that <laughs> <laughs> it's better than blood pudding 
Oh, this one's right off the rails, right at the beginning. That's bad. <laughs> it tastes like a blamange. <laughs> I just wanted to say blamange. Blamage. Oh, I have not watched any Monty Python in so long. I'm I'm due. You know what? There's actually a Monty Python joke in my synopsis too, isn't that? Oh, excellent. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I was um um to not not to stray too far, but I'll stray a little far. But <laughs> um, um, Andrew Leyland mentioned to me there was a Doctor Who back in the Tom Baker days. It was written a whole series, uh, you know, a, a you know four episode or three episode run. There was a story that was written by Douglas Adams. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I I watched that the other day, and it's hilarious. The dialogue is just razor sharp. Lots of stuff from Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul. And I think he well, stole that's a lot where from. He got his, you know, that's where he, uh, you know, cut his teeth for science fiction was was as a writer for uh, for Doctor Who. You see, I'm thinking though, I'm thinking the time period where that came out, he might already written Hitchhiker's Guide by that time. Oh, I could be. I think it was probably like a radio hit because it's got a lot of it, 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 and it's in an episode where they're in Paris, and it's got some extra money to it in some places. So I have a feeling that it was sort of a like uh, they they were like let's get Douglas Adams for this one, right. and it was written around a story that was very dialogue driven. It, it's it's really good. But anyway, John Cleese was in it as an as a art critic. Oh, that's like, funny. And he's critiquing the TARDIS, and you know Doctor Who and his cohorts run past him into the TARDIS, and it and it disappears. And, you know, the woman that he's with who's critiquing it with him just looks at him and she's just like, exquisite. Just exquisite. <laughs> you don't know what year this was, though? It's It had to be like 77, 78 or something like what that. Did, what year was uh, Hitchhiker's Guide? Hitchhiker, Hitchhiker's Guide was post-Star Wars, though, wasn't it? For us. By the time we learned about Hitchhiker's Guide... It had already been a hit radio show, right. turned into a hit, hit novels, turned into a hit TV show in Britain. Right. So there, there had to be many years, and while all that happened before we even got it. This is true. Yeah, I'm you thinking. Know, same yeah. with Doctor Who. We got Doctor Who several years after it aired in Britain. You know, right. on PBS. So, so it could have been like mid mid to late seventies, is what I'm thinking. So anywhere from like seventy six to seventy eight, I'm I'm thinking, or maybe even earlier by a couple years. You know, Shag Shag's gouging his eyes out right now, going, "You moron!" Clearly, <laughs> June fourth. You know, I would have loved to have uh, have read a, a, a like a Douglas Adams like short story or uh, novella or something um, tackling Star Wars. I think that could have been very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I wish he was around, you know, and well, like in the like to do a couple stories for like the Star Wars Tales comic. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. that would have been really cool. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Something with like. Marvin in it. <laughs> I wonder That's if he's not... on record anywhere, you know, during his lifetime uh, and his opinion of Star Wars. I don't know that I ever heard that. I wonder what it is. I imagine he probably liked it. I don't know. It'd be interesting to find out. He better like Star Wars. <laughs> and nerd would Douglas Adams be if he didn't like Star Wars? This is very true. 
Well, I'm trying to think of any uh, any preamble, any Star Wars news that we have, and uh, kind of coming up blank, other than you know we're 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 still in the uh, the preliminary you know excited stages of uh, you know Star Wars celebration coming along in August. But I'm, uh, yep, I'm in the I'm in the trying to figure out how much money I have to come up with, and yeah, and <laughs> and how I'm going to come up with it. But I I'm going to do it, you know, but. It, there's many ways, you know, I might end up just like not buying the month-long bus ticket and just buying my bus ticket six months in the future before it, or, or you, and well, it's almost too late for that, but you know, if you order it months in the future, it's so cheap, it's ridiculous. Right. So, but I do have some Star Wars news. <gasps> I had a major Star Wars haul. You did? Yes, it was only one item, but it was just, it was one of those things, I was on eBay and I was researching something non-Star Wars related. And uh, in the in the search for it, up popped an issue of Bantha Tracks, which was the Star Wars fan club newsletter. Mm-hmm. Which I wish I knew what I did with all my band. I, I like when Star Wars first came out. I remember my dad going, "So are you going to be a member of the Star Wars fan club?" And I said, "What's a fan club?" And he goes, "You, you join the fan club and you get a card. Usually, he's like they got to have a fan club." And my dad looked up and found out there was a Star Star Wars fan club, and he's like, "Here, we're going to sign you up." And I was get and I got Bantha tracks, and I was so it was so awesome because it was so adult. You know, it was like sort of like here. Here's a little adult inside slice of Lucasfilm. Well, anyway, I see a Bantha tracks pop up, and it's square. And they were usually like a note notebook size, and they had notebook holes post punched in them so you could put them in a loose leaf. And I was like, that's odd. I don't remember that. And it was number 34 of autumn of 1986. So I was long done with B- Bantha tracks by then. So I never got this in the mail. And it has a flexi. It's the ba- the whole issue is basically a flexi disc. And I saw that, and I'm like, "There's a Bantha tracks. It's a record <laughs> that's audio." And uh, immediately, like the collector and the Two True Freaks soundtrack, <laughs> you know, bu- alarm starts going off in my head, and I'm like, "I gotta <laughs> have it." And I look at it, and it's like thirty five bucks or something. Like Yikes. That. Like, there's no way. So I start look, you know. So I do a tr- uh, a search for, for that particular issue, and they're all twenty five, thirty bucks, forty bucks, sixty bucks, and I'm just like, ah, okay, sort by lowest price. Boom, three twenty five, one dollar shipping. <laughs> Buy it now, and I'm just Ooh. like, oh, but ding, <laughs> bought bought it instantly. And it and it and it came in the mail like two days later. It was so cherry, nicely packed, and cherry knew that it still had the little round sticker on it that held it shut. It was unopened and sealed shut. And of course, being the good podcaster that I am, I've taken it on my and put it on my turntable that hooks into my computer and made a nice sound file of it. Which I have um, sent to my good friend Scott Gardner, who edits <laughs> the, the episodes of, and it, it's it's great. It's just a brief, brief. Um, so you have that you have set this up beautifully because I, I had already uh, 
planned to play this during the, the, the break, and I had in my notes, be sure to ask Chris, what the hell is this sound file that he sent to be played in the break? <laughs> so you've set this up perfectly without even knowing that I was going to ask Excellent. you. That's awesome. That's Excellent. Oh, we are totally just of one mind. That's Let's awesome. gloat. Gloat, gloat, gloat. <laughs> We're right again. So it turns out, it, 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 and it's called. It has a very lame name to the to the track. It's called Sprocket Systems, distinctive by design. So it sounds sort of totally like a corporate, right. you know. And and it's a clear flexi disc inside. Inside, you know, you open it up. And there's a nice picture of a B-wing fighter flying away from the Jedi Death Star, and a couple X-wings and and A-wings flying in towards a star destroyer behind it. And um, well, let's see, it says uh, Sprocket Systems is Lucasfilm's post-production division. It's responsible for taking pieces of film and sound tape from a filmmaker and turning them into a finished movie. And that's not quite as simple as it sounds. So it's basically sort of a uh, just sort of a little demo reel by Ben Burt and his crew and the and the first half of it's sort of like this like just them having fun with a sound collage and their secretaries transferring the call back and forth to Ben Burt and his his assistant and and everything and then the second half of it is awesome it basically shows you how he he built the sounds for lightsabers and he takes you through it piece by piece and recreates the... I don't think he's even recreating it. He's probably whipping out the tapes that he made, you know, of all, you know, the, the, the specific um, little components of what make up a lightsaber and how he, how he did it and how he made it sound like it was swinging and how he made it sound like when two lightsabers would hit together. So it's, it's really neat, and it's... Uh, and of course, it was put together by Ben Burt, so it's uh, it's off a flexi disc, so it's going to sound a little funky. But it's a nice stereo. It's you know, it's got stereo effects and and just basically nice sound design. He probably worked extra hard to make it sound right for a flexi disc. But um, yeah, that's basically you know the, the that's all the things they they talk about in the you know that's basically the whole Bantha tracks, but. In, uh, inside there's a, a little you know sidebar and it says Star Tours Star Wars comes to Disneyland board oh. a shuttle and blast off for a thrilling tour of a galaxy far far away on Star Tours a new Star Wars installation at Disneyland's Tomorrowland That's Star cool. Tours ride simulates the experience of space flight in the Star Wars universe you'll be greeted by C-3PO who will advise you to fasten your seatbelts and stow your hand luggage, speaking both in English and Ewokese. Was is that true? Mm, there's some of it that's in Ewokese in the uh, in the pre-show and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Good, Shana Kuchana, Yoda Yab Yab Hadaway Judo, Ikik Pikik Endo, Judo Ikik Pikik Gupta Toto Achipik Marichinyachi Kunda. You'll need that seatbelt. <laughs> and then it gives a little plug for the sound engineers who also worked on it. So, well, purely so by a, again, purely by coincidence and, and happenstance, you, you you didn't even know this, but uh, recently, uh, just on a whim, I went over to the studios and uh, and I recorded some oh. audio Star Tours that I was going to throw in at the end of the show. So there you go again with uh, with setting 
setting me up perfectly. I like this. Excellent, excellent. And uh, somewhere there, there, I, I found a, a Star Wars database that has PDFs of all the um, um, Bantha tracks. Oh, really? Yes. Ooh, you have to hook it, up with that. I can't remember. I wish I, uh, you know, I should have done my homework and had the URL and given it out. But it, it's something like I, I think it's like the Jedi Archives or something like that. It's called. I believe it is called the Jedi Archives. I can't believe I just pulled that out my ass. <laughs> Excellent. You're Excellent. just on fire tonight. I'm on Mountain Dew. <laughs> <laughs> It's the mountain fire. But, um, yeah, I know. For once, I'm the one with some, some news at the beginning of the yeah, show. It's about time you started to pull your weight around here. I know. I've been slacking for the last three years. <laughs> People just got to s- keep sending me more stuff. That's all. That's all there is to it. <laughs> Well, what do you think? You want to get right into this, or do you want well, to take uh, a little break and get right into this, or what? Do we, how do we want to do this? I'd say we do one comic and then we do a break. All right, that's uh, that works for me. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. Alright, so we are going to dive right into this then. This is uh, Star Wars, Marvel Star Wars number 82. This is the April 1984 issue. That's actually important this time around, and I'll get into why a little bit later on. Excuse me, cover on this by Ron Friends and Tom Palmer. And uh, sadly, with this issue, we say goodbye to Ron Friends. This Sadly, yes, folks, is the last regularly penciled issue by our old friend Ron Friends. And I'm really going to miss him. He is going to come back one more time before the end of the series. I was going to say, as, we yeah, see him again. Yeah. As far as you know, being the regular penciler, uh, penciler this is pretty much it. Um, the cover on this one, I really like this a lot. This is uh, depicting, it's got Luke Skywalker, and he's being uh, held and disarmed by a bunch of uh, you know bug-eyed, pointy-eared alien guys. And uh, Moan is in the background, and it's hard to tell whether he's he's directing the action or whether he's like saying, "You know, stop! Don't do Trying that!" Trying to it, stop it. Yeah, yeah. It, it it could be going either way. But you've got uh, Kiro, and he's wearing this very very samurai esque looking outfit, and he's about to uh, stab Luke with his pointed stick. There's your uh, Monty Python reference. For that. <laughs> and uh, it's just I a like flesh this. wound. I really like this cover a lot, although Luke's outfit is very strange. It's it's very skirt-like. Yeah, it reminds me an awful tunic. lot of... It's a tunic. It's a tunic, <laughs> but it, it's weird. It's it's vaguely um, like, uh, like 
for some reason it, it reminds me of uh, of something religious, and I, I can't put my finger on why. It just does somehow, and I, I you know, it, it's just, yeah, it's it's odd, but I like it. I, I think it's a cool looking outfit. I like this cover. The only thing I find kind of wonky about it is Kiro's elbow has like bubbly water in it. Right. And just the way it looks, it, it, this cover has always looked to me like it's a stump. Like he's got one hand yeah. up with a sword and he's got his stump like, like, you know, his arm has been cut off at the elbow and he's got like this weird. But that's. I can see that. But that's the only. I, I, I love Ron Frenz's art. So. Yeah. Yeah, I like and, this. And, and this reminds me a lot of, um, I think it was issue number three, wh- whichever one was in the cantina, the cover of the one in the cantina. <laughs> Swing that lightsaber, Ben. Or yeah, exactly. Or whatever the name, you know, whatever he says. Yeah, yeah. yeah, with all the guys grabbing Luke. And yep. Or we're finished. Or we're it. finished. Finished. <laughs> so credits on this one, we got Joe Duffy, uh, script and plot, Ron Friends breakdowns. We got M Hands, which is uh, short for many hands on the finishes, meaning that it's inked by many different people. And we'll again, we'll get into that uh, covering you know the, the course of the issue. Um, I tried like hell to find a list of who the many hands were. I never did find one. But I feel fairly confident that I can tell who at least some of the people are uh, that are the uh, inkers on this one. We got Joe Ruzzin, letters, uh, Glenn, uh, Glennis Wine, colors, uh, Louise Jones, editor, and Jim Shooter is the editor-in-chief. Now, the story on this one is called Diplomacy, and I was dead wrong. I, I forget if it was last episode or how long ago it was, but... I had said something about I thought that this was going to be a story of Princess Leia. And it has, this, I think I think you were we were just talking about it off the air, like which oh, episode we wanted to do, and we were talking about that. Yeah, it, there's a cover, and it, it comes way down the line, but there's a cover where Princess Leia has kind of got the Peter Parker thing going, where like half of her is like a Star Warrior, and then the other half is like a diplomat. And that's the issue I thought was was titled Diplomacy. Well, that one's actually way in the future. So anyway, neither here nor there. The story this time, it opens on a beautiful uh, splash page by uh, Friends and Palmer of Luke Skywalker. And he's clad all in black. And he's got a white, uh, one of those Jedi vest, tunic, wrap things, whatever you call it. And he stands battle ready and he's got his lightsaber ignited. And he's saying, go ahead. If you really think you can beat me, give it your best shot, and you'd better not hold back. And he warns his uh, unseen enemy. He says, I'm ready when you are. So uh, Luke knows that his foes are out there in the forest, and they that they have the advantage of numbers. So suddenly the trap is sprung and the attack commences, but thanks to his force-enhanced senses and his Jedi training, Luke is able to fend off a barrage of rocks and spears, and he stands triumphant over his attackers, who are... The dreaded Ewoks of Endor. The killer Ewoks. The <laughs> killer Ewoks. His friend Lando Calrissian shows up in the clearing along with Chewbacca, C-3PO, and Admiral Akbar. And Lando, you know, gives Luke some, uh, you know, good-natured ribbing, asking if this is how the Jedi earn their uh, badass reputation by taking on creatures like these. Then things turn all serious as Akbar gets straight down to business. He says, with the Emperor and Vader dead, the Empire is essentially no more. 
and he and the other rebel leaders want to try to restore some, you know, some semblance of the old Republic way of life by giving the newly freed worlds of the galaxy a voice and representation in whatever government is going to eventually come to be to replace the Empire. And Akbar wants Luke to seek out these representatives. So, accompanied by Plif, the Hujib, who somehow has turned up on Endor, Luke sets out for the first world on Akbar's list, which is the water planet we visited back in Star Wars Monthly Monday episodes 32 and 33, known as Iskalon. And Luke and Plif, they set down on what little is left of the landing platform for off-worlders, and they run smack into their old acquaintances, Danny the Zeltron, Rick Duel, and Cheeto, the Greedo Bandito, who looks no worse for wear after having been encased in a carbonite block, or at least that's the last way we saw him, way back in uh, Star Wars Monthly Monday number 31. Greedo Bandito. <laughs> Don't you like that? <laughs> I do like that. Oh, damn. <laughs> Duel's group has found a lucrative new business, salvage of what little is left of the place after the Empire set off the Iskalon effect back in issue number 74. Luke and Plif are appalled, but before they can preach too much about all this, uh, one of those big water dragon things rises up out of the sea and tries to have Rick Duel for lunch. Cliff warns Luke that the thing was summoned to the surface and Skywalker's spider sense goes off just in time for him to knock Danny and Cheeto out of the way as a horde of pissed off Iskalonians attack. Things go all jack- You mean they were pissed Galonians? <laughs> I like that. Things go all Jack Kirby for a few pages until Kiro shows up to put a stop to the fighting. Kiro expresses genuine happiness in seeing Luke again, but he's appalled that... I use the word appalled a lot in this synopsis, I just realized. That the Jedi is uh, palling around with the likes of these scavengers. And Luke says, Wait wait a minute, you you got to understand, man. I, I, I never even saw these assholes before. And, uh, I wasn't even supposed to be here today. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes on to explain his mission and what he's doing on the planet and blah, blah, blah. When Moan shows up and for some reason, I think he acts a lot more like his dead wife, Kendall, than he acts like the Moan that we met before. He says that he's happy to see Luke again and everything, but that doesn't really ring true when right. he immediately follows that up with the demand of you guys got to leave like right now. And he claims that, you know, it's the will of his people who he's speaking for and everything. You know, he's ha he took his uh, father's place as the leader of the Iskalonians. And, you know, while he does listen to Luke's proposal, he refuses to, you know, participate in galactic affairs, basically. And he doesn't want to send uh, a representative because then that would mean removing someone from the school community that, that these people share. So Luke's all sad, and uh, you know he agrees to leave, and he does order Duel and his people to leave the planet with him. But before they can all lift off, Kiro, who's now suddenly sporting this, uh, you know, that really cool-looking samurai-esque rebreather suit that we saw on the cover, he approaches Luke and says that he does want to go with them. And so the issue ends with this really nice uh, full-page splash of Moan and his yes. fist people watching the uh, ships streak off into the sky. And the next issue box says, still active, 
after all these years. And Doesn't uh, that sound like a Metamucil commercial or something? <laughs> it does. I'm just going to spoil it right now. That's not the next issue for four more issues. So I don't know what the story That happened a lot, in, it seems, in Star Wars. Well, well this is like in, the second time it happened. In this but. era that we're getting into now, um, yeah, this is going to happen a lot where our... Uh, you know, it's like those uh, those interruptions in our program. You know, we'd say, now back to our regularly scheduled program. You know, we're going to get interrupted in the regular story a lot by fill-in issues because eventually... Um, the editor of this book is going to change. And I believe it's Anne Nascenti, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. And she had a real thing about, she wanted to clear out all those drawers full of backlog stories. And so we're going to see that. As a matter of fact, I think the the next issue, the one that you're going to do the synopsis for after the break, I get a real feeling that that one is one of these, you know, that's yeah. sitting in a drawer somewhere and they decided to kind of whip it out now, you know, because yep. it's change kinda, a few little references in it to make it fit in the context, precisely. but otherwise. Precisely. So what do you got on this one? Well, I, I like the art. It, despite the inconsistency of the inking, it, it, like when you were saying things go all Jack Kirby, um, on that page, it has, the Luke as Linda Blair in the Exorcist scene is one of my favorite words. Head is just almost 180 degrees. He's like turning around and it looks like somebody just took their action figure. It, it literally looks like his neck is that sort of, you know how like action figure necks in the old days mm-hmm. just sort of came down to a little ball that was stuck in the torso. Mm-hmm. He looks just like what, you know, one of those and they tipped his head at an angle and turned it off. It looks like, you know, you pulled your Luke Skywalker doll out of your <laughs> toy box and his head's turned all, all the way around. It's just not the most natural looking thing in it, but, um, Speaking of natural-looking things, uh, I'm glad to see Donnie back mm-hmm. in in her full Zeltron. Yeah, <laughs> like a big old strawberry. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but that that whole fight sequence. There's a lot of weirdness, that, and I know it's not Ron Friends, so it had to be the Inkers, because especially you. Can, oh yeah, it, where his head is just hit unnatural angles and. And then the next page, it'll be all gorgeous. All of a sudden, the lines will be very thin and detailed. I really, really spent a lot of time poring over these pages, trying mm-hmm. to cipher out who did what. It sometimes it seems like they stopped in the middle of a page. Yeah, um, yeah. Or, or maybe three so. people worked on a single page. Yeah. It's it's really hard. To, I mean, there's some places where it's obvious. Here's what you know. Here's Here's the guy with the heavy hand. Here's the guy. There's uh, one of the inkers has a um, puts a lot of fine shading in around the lips and eyes. Um, uh, once again, I wish these pages were numbered, but there's one where Luke's flying to the planet with Pliff, and you know, it's a, it's a really nice picture of him with Pliff on his shoulder, you know, looking out through the X-wing, and and it's very very finely shaded and cross hatched, you know. Right. And then, you know, yeah, and then See, five the pa- first four pages to me look like Pure Ron Friends. Yeah, that's Ron Friends and uh and Tom Palmer. I'm I'm yes. fairly convinced. It's just And then the next several pages up until Luke's Luke lands 
Um, actually, the the last it, it, it goes from where the battle is uh, against the Ewoks is over, and Lando and the group walk mm-hmm. into the clearing, all the way up until the the panel where Luke and Pliff land on the platform, and there's that last panel going, "You at last." All through that, I'm pretty sure that the inker on that is Bob McCloud. I'm almost yes. convinced because you, you can tell by the uh, not to not to be a punster, but the clouds, the way the clouds. Yeah, look yeah, very much him. so. Yeah. Well, also there's that panel. Um, again, these pages aren't numbered, but it, it's the panel where Luke and, and Akbar are talking. Mm-hmm. And on the bottom of the page is the panel where, where Luke is saying, thanks, Pliff. And Pliff is on Luke's shoulder. That's McCloud. I mean, that looks like it's right out of, like, New Mutants or something. Right, right, know, that right. he was doing around this time. That's gorgeous. And then after that, it gets wonky. And I, I have a lot of trouble deciding who I think some of these, uh, these inkers are. Because the next several pages looks a lot to me like Jandersema. A lot like Jandersema, but I could not find any reference anywhere confirming one way or the other. And then whoever this very, very Jack Kirby-ish inker is in the in the battle, I can't tell who the hell that is. It looks a lot to me like, I can't, Theakston? Is it Greg Theakston? I have no idea. The, the guy that came up with that process where they were like, washing out the old comics and re you know for that reprinting process where they actually had to like cut them up and stuff because i think he does a very jack kirby style if i remember right but and then after that where kiro comes back the inking through the rest of the issue is just gorgeous and i couldn't i couldn't place it it's really nice and it's very reminiscent it almost looks a bit like um like terry austin Mm mm-hmm but mm-hmm. I, I couldn't quite. There's a place little it. infantino about it, in yeah. some in a couple spots too. Yeah, but I mean, it's obviously not infantino, but yeah, it's because if you look at Rick Duel on the bottom of that page where Luke is basically telling him, "All right, you guys have got to go." You're done. Yeah, he's pointing right at Duel, and Duel's saying, uh, "It's a free galaxy." That mm-hmm. looks like um, a Terry Austin. It almost looks like Byrne ink, uh, penciled it mm-hmm. and Austin inked it right there. Yes, it looks like, yeah, old classic X-Men, X-Men that they were yeah. doing. Yes. Yeah. Very you're, much you're so. You're totally right. But it's it's hard to tell because then there's other faces where I look at it and go, I don't think that that's Austin. So it's really tough to tell, but... You know, from from the point where Kiro shows up through the rest of the book, the art's just gorgeous. I mean, it's really nice. And the color, too. The color works very well. There's a lot of, like, pinks and oranges, which doesn't sound very appealing, but it works out really well. Mm. I'm sorry. I totally jumped in on your notes. (laughs) Oh, that's okay. I have a I have a reality question for Admiral for you about your opinion on Admiral Akbar. You think oh. in reality, Admiral Akbar would probably have to have someone following him around with like a little squirt bottle, just like <laughs> keeping him damp. A little mister. And he don't has you one think of those one of those fans in the in the mist thing? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, do you think he'd want to stay moist like a salamander or something? And also. Or, you know, and he's kind of like a shrimp, really. So, do you think when he's walking around in the sun that, you know, people are like, phew, Akbar 
kind of reeks on ice. You know, there are flies on him and stuff. Everywhere he goes, you hear flies buzzing. And Chewie starts like getting hung, like looking at him and seeing like a, you know, shrimp cocktail suspended in the air. What are you looking at, Chewie? Well, you know, <laughs> Chewie's stomach growling. Not only would I think he would have to worry about the Ewoks wanting to maybe munch on him a little mm-hmm. bit, yes. but you know, we saw in both of those Ewok TV specials that Endor is practically crawling with like big monsters and stuff that you know are wanting to eat people, hungry things. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, it actually probably is dangerous for you know a, a human-sized piece of seafood to be walking around in the. He Endor is hanging around with like... Chewbacca too, so <laughs> that that. I'm sure that helps. Yeah, man. Even Chewie's being a sarcastic bastard when they come in and pick. It's funny. Luke's a Jedi Knight now, and they come in and they're like, oh, what are you doing? Picking on Ewoks, huh? (laughs) You know, and it's it's just funny. They're just ripping on him. And and C-3PO doesn't get the sarcasm and then is like sarcastic. Right. Making a joke like three panels later but otherwise i i really like this i liked um i liked the whole idea of okay you know they said i i I liked that they sort of laid out yeah we got the emperor we got darth vader but there's still you know the empire's crippled but it's still there which makes sense and uh you know and 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 i like that i think there was one line uh, to paraphrase that it was sort of it was like you know um, the old republic wasn't perfect, but between that and the empire, it had the the galaxy is kind of united now. So we have to put something together to make sure that you know everybody's okay. And and once again, that makes sense. That right. That that kind of makes sense in all of it. And I like that his perspective was like, yeah, we hated the empire, but it did unite the galaxy, and that was sort of one of the goals of, <laughs> of the empire. So the Empire did sort of serve a purpose, and 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 I like that. And this is pre prequels too, so it was before the prequels were talking a lot of that stuff. So I li- See, I like that. I like this approach a lot better too, because that's that remains one of my major issues with the EU uh, novels and the EU universe. What what little I know of it and what little I've read of it so far as I'm making my way through it is it does feel like the 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 heads of the rebel alliance basically just stepped into the breach after they took out the empire and i still maintain yeah. that that's not very realistic that there's yeah, the, got, the, you would the think death that star got blown up and a good part of the fl- their fleet that came to battle but there has to be a huge infrastructure it's a galaxy <laughs> well not just that but i mean wouldn't you think that you know you know again realistically speaking that yeah, the Empire had its, you know, its problems and they weren't really nice guys. But, you know, Joe Blow living out on, you know, backwater world somewhere might not have might even be a little bit pissed and go, you know, well, at least the friggin' trains ran on time when the Empire yeah, was in my charge. Ship you know? in a space tobacco. Yeah, exactly. You know, that sort of thing. And again, I, I still say that there's got to be somebody somewhere that that suddenly wakes up one day and sees on the news that we've gone from 
you know, Emperor Palpatine being in charge to now, you know, fish Some faces. scruffy hippie, yeah. <laughs> Who the hell are these guys? No, no, man. That you know, to some aliens, there might not be that much difference from old Scarface Palpatine and Akbar. You know, <laughs> you know, they 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 may be like, yeah, we we could send Akbar to meet this race because they don't, you know, they don't know the difference. They're roughly the same height. <laughs> you know, they he's got two arms and two legs. They're <laughs> They're gel- gelatinous globs. They look exact. They could be twins. <laughs> what else you got on this one? <laughs> Not much else. Um, it was a ge- it was it was a generally it was a good satisfying issue. It was um, uh, between this and the next issue, I I really liked how they were going. It gave me a lot of idea between the and I'll get into it more in the next issue about where I think they should have gone with mm-hmm. this if they I don't know if they could have gone. Right. But um you know this in the next well I'll go into it in the next issue but uh okay. one thing that I what I I really liked besides the story and and the art and stuff was at, at the very after the very last panel there's a two ni- there's a nice little ad for Micronauts and Moon Knight <laughs> which were two of the coolest books at the time. Right. And and some two of the two of the books with some of the nicest art in them too. So they're just, and I liked how micro Micronauts always got a little like side panel, you know, some little stylish thing. And the Moon Knight one is real. It's just him, you know, with his cape and reaching out his hand. I I, I love that shit. And I, then, I was gonna yeah. Well, we'll go into the ads a little bit more here in, in just a little bit because there was actually a couple of them I wanted to. Uh, to comment on in there. Sure oh, yeah. <laughs> well, let's see. I got a few notes on this one. Um, right off the bat, the splash page, the opening splash page. This is absolutely one of my favorites of the uh, post Return of the Jedi issues. I just like how Luke looks here. I mean, Friends and uh, Palmer just did a fantastic job because he's just the way I think Luke should look. You know, Luke a, a lot. You know, we commented several times in you know the earliest episodes of this how Luke was constantly drawn to look like Luke the Barbarian or, you know, something yes. like that. Whereas here, Luke is, he's kind of lanky, you know? And I, yeah. Yeah, I like that because that's fairly realistic to how uh, Mark Hamill really looks. And I, I like that a lot. Um, I like his outfit. It, it's different, you know, because in, in uh, Jedi, you know, it was entirely black. Whereas here, you know, it's it's all black again. But he's got that white. He's got some know, white on it. So he's sort of 50 fit. He's sort of combined his Darth Vader and Lukeness together. Yeah. I like that a lot. I uh, I could live without the Michael Jackson, you know, the one glove thing. You know, I forgave mm-hmm. that for Return of the Jedi. But at this point, it seems like, okay, you, you didn't get your hand fixed yet? Or, or what's going on with that? Um, panel, t- or, or uh, page rather, page two. That last panel, I just love the look on Luke's face. It's just, it's bizarre looking. It looks he, like he just nodded off. <laughs> <laughs> or no, not yeah, where he's using the force. No, I mean yeah. the one at the bottom of the page where the, the catapult goes off. And he just has this look like, huh? <laughs> like he's just been totally startled by what's going on. <laughs> yeah. I just love the look on his face. Um, oh, I'm getting a page ahead. I'm sorry. I oh no, that's two fine. pages. That's what I. That third page, 
the last panel where it's a beautiful perspective shot where we're looking down at Luke as all the rocks and spears and stuff are coming at him and you can see the Ewoks all around. Can't you just hear the Ewoks in that? Yes. Art? I love that. You know? Well, you, it's funny because this whole sequence, it, there's parts of it, you know, they picked up obviously because the only Jedi training you see is that little with with Ben and, and then mm-hmm. a, a bit with Yoda and Empire. But a lot of this reminds me of a lot of the prequel Jedi action, you know, now that right. it's a fully, fully, although they hadn't figured out like the push, you know, pushing people backwards and stuff. But the way that the way I, I like this because here the Ewoks aren't being cutesy or anything. They're they're being they're kind of having they're playing with him, but they're playing with him in, a, you know, let's get it. it you know what it reminds me of? Pink Panther movies. You know, with Cato yeah. and, and Clouseau, <laughs> you know he's doing a little Cato and Clouseau. That would that would be a funny comic. Is Luke just like returning to Endor and being like, "I know that I told you to attack me at any time. <laughs> and there's no counter order, but I'm putting the counter order now." <laughs> wow! I do. I like that sequence a lot. It's it's yeah. actually some really nice. You know that's that's uh, it's really Friends' strong suit. This this quick cinematic style action. It, it's really really nice. And you know, there's a lot of irony I think in Luke's outfit in this issue, looking you know being the the black and white because that's why he left. This is he went over at this time. This is when he left to go do Spider Man and. Spider-Man switched to his black and white outfit right around this time. So I, I just I think that's really cool. You know, he went from one character in black and white to another character in black mm-hmm. and white. And uh, you know, really put his stamp on on that run. Uh let's see what else we got here. I liked Akbar's speech. You know, just about, you know, how they have to to you know, they took down the empire but now they have to set something up. You know, they can't just yep. let the, the galaxy, you know, fall into chaos or what. I like that. Again, I, I, I think that's a, a much better and, and more real world approach than just, okay, now we're the government. I, I still am not comfortable with that. I caught something here. This was, uh, uh, where was it? Oh, it was with C-3PO where he says... Um, well, after Akbar's done talking with Luke, Luke, you know, agrees to go with the mission. He says, all right. He goes, great. Who's going with me? And 3PO says, well, Master Luke, uh, Chewbacca feels he has more to learn from the Hujibs and more to teach them. And I'm needed here to translate their tongue. I'm sure he means Ewoks because right. the Hujibs aren't native to, uh, to Endor and the Hujibs are telepaths. So he doesn't have to translate for them at all. Exactly. So I think exactly. there was an error in the, in the dialogue here. Well, sure enough, as I was doing a little bit of research today and I was on the, this was, the, hmm? yeah, this was, a, was this one of those ones out of the, out of the drawer, you know, that they doc, no, I don't, it up and, I don't think so, but I, I was on, um, Wikipedia, I was actually just looking for something else and I was looking to see what they were saying about this issue and somebody else caught the exact same thing. So I just want to say I caught it <laughs> completely on my own. That was completely uh-huh. independent <laughs> before I saw it on there and I read it and I thought, ah, they, they 
you know, caught the same thing. But then when I, whenever I see something like that, I, I both feel really cool. Like, Hey, I caught that on my own. But then I'm also like, ah, people are just going to think I'm reading it off a, a wiki somewhere. Okay. Nope. Caught that one entirely on my own. Um, I noticed once Luke gets to, uh, Iskalon, there's several different panels that show Luke's glove that, you know, and again, he's only wearing the one glove, but they show it as being open backed in several panels, you know, almost like a, like a flight glove driving or glove, driving or, something, glove yeah. or something like that. Well, if it was open backed and it you would know, defeat the purpose it of defeats the, the purpose entirely. If he's got the movie wound in this, you know, because in the movie he was shot in the back of the hand, whereas, you know, in the, in the comic adaption we saw it was in the palm of the hand. If it, well, you know, if they're going with movie continuity, yeah, that completely, <laughs> I'm thinking that could be a colorist glitch. Because right. that could have been drawn as like a panel on the glove. And when you see other pictures of the black glove, you can sort of see mm -hmm. that there's a sort of round panel that would go over the back of the hand. Right. And she could have just seen it and said, oh, okay, that's, it's a hole in it, like a, mm -hmm. a driving glove and colored it pink. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, an, it's, it's inconsistent even panel to panel because one right. panel would be all black. The next panel, it's got the hole. The next panel after that, it's back to all black again. So, yeah, I, I believe it is completely the colorist, but I just thought it was, it was funny because, yeah, it completely defeats the purpose of even wearing the glove if it's open-backed like that. Um, that was pretty much it on the, on the issue as a whole. I liked it. It, uh, it feels like a recruitment issue. You know, it, it, it's basically setting up okay, this is what the story is going to be now. You know, right. we don't have a discernible enemy, so Luke's going to travel world to world, you know. And to, getting the, adventures. Yeah, and I kind of like that. Yep. Um, I don't think this lasts very long, and I do remember this being constantly interrupted by filler issues, which is a little bit annoying. Um, but I like that because... As you know, as we've talked about before, and as we're definitely going to see demonstrated over the coming issues, they're stymied at this point. You know, there's only mm -hmm. so much they can do. But this was an interesting workaround. You know, I think this was really inventive. Yes. You know, well, let's just travel the galaxy and, uh, you know, under the pretense of of pulling in reps for the new government and stumble into new adventures. That that works for me. I, and I they set up that there would be dregs of the empire left over to mm -hmm. deal with here and there, you know, and yeah, po think... political intrigue and and adventure. So that's all you need, and and a big enough cast to carry it off. So they had all that. I think that's very clever. I really do. Now here's the weird thing: is um, yesterday. Last night, as a matter of fact, uh, Michael Bailey and I were recording an episode of, uh, of Tales of the JSA. And once we got through the issue, we, we, do, we do our format there pretty much like you and I do this with covering issues. And at some point, we were talking about the ads in the issue. And on the inside front cover of the issue that we were just looking at was an ad for Joust. Ah. Uh. like... And so I'm looking at my notes that I had taken, and I couldn't find where I had made a note for Joust. I was like, well, that's odd, because I know I wrote that down because I meant to say something about it. Turns out that while that's a DC comic, and what we're covering here is a Marvel comic, for the first time I can recall, 
we're in perfect sync because that was the April 84 issue of All-Star Squadron. Ah. This is the April 84 issue of Star Wars. Even though they're two completely different companies, it's the same month, same year, and the same ad. Atari knew who they were selling their product to, you know? They're covering all their bases. I'm sure both Marvel and DC were, were, you know, happy to take their money. Oh, absolutely. I just, I thought that that was really cool. And I I probably never, ever would have even noticed this and and paid any attention to it. If it wasn't for the commercial. If it wasn't for Joust, (laughs) because I just happened by pure coincidence, I was just playing Joust about a week ago at an arcade. And I was, I I had forgotten how fun that game really is. And when I was a kid, I sucked at that game. But I actually did really well when I played it again recently. I, I, I guess I just... I get the controls better now than I did right. when I was a kid because that 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 game had it was a different was it was a different thing you had to flap your wings mm-hmm. and you had to, there was a lot of drift involved in it and you know you would flap you you'd have to hover and do all sorts of little maneuvers and and compensate with everything so it made it very it was uh, Mike Cross and all his buddies used to drive to Watertown to play Joust, and I used to hear about it all the time. And then I remember going with them to play, and they're like, "Go ahead, play!" And I was like, "This is insane!" It was like, you know, the next step up in graphics at the time. It was mm-hmm. really nice graphics, and um, but I, I like you, I just sucked at it because there was too, you know, too much going on for me to. I was always bad at stuff like Defender, where you're doing multiple. Right. Things. And I all I remember is I thought the coolest thing about Joust is if you got too close to the lava, the bottom of my hand would come and grab you and pull you down into it. <laughs> that was always awesome. Well, and the I, sound and, for its time was, yes. was rather innovative too. And uh and this is an ad for the Atari twenty six hundred version of it, which was of course suitably, you know, appropriately shitty <laughs> compared <laughs> to the <laughs> <laughs> you know the sound effects were like so <laughs> well you commented on the micronauts and moon knight ad on the on the page uh the next page from there there's a uh, marvel subscription ad yeah. and it's got the inhumans and i think I, I could be dead wrong but i think that uh burn is the penciler on this because if you look at uh medusa that sure looks like John She's Byrne to the me. The hair, the yeah. hair face, and what's the dog's name? Lockjaw. Lockjaw. Lockjaw used to Lockjaw freaked me out as a kid when I was a little kid because I read a Spidey stu- stupid stories with Lockjaw in it, and I was just <laughs> I like, I read that too. What the hell is that thing? It's like a big dog with that weird glowing thing, you know, oh, yeah, tuning yeah. fork tuning on its fork head, stuck in his head. Yeah, yeah. The the, the like the dog was like some, you know belonged to some music teacher and like the guy like fell on the tuning fork and now has superpowers or something well, i always wanted I to see if two out. people grab each side of that tuning fork thing and be like okay make a wish because it also <laughs> looks a lot like a wish a wishbone yeah <laughs> yeah and there's a there's another video game for Ma- the masters of the universe game did you ever see this i don't remember ever seeing this game the master of the universe game no i don't this was what nineteen eighty four? Oh, we were still playing Atari like crazy oh, yeah. at this point. So yeah, we were yeah, in what, just was, never get... we were sophomores in eighty four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because mm-hmm. we graduated in eighty six. Yep. So yeah, but um, 
Yeah, we probably just didn't have we didn't have much as much interest in Masters of the Universe. We would still watch it like you know on a Saturday morning and watch it, but see this ad was in that All Star Squadron that Mike and I were just talking about, and I was telling him that the the first graphic picture not down there at the bottom, not the the Castle Grayskull one, but the other one, uh-huh. I thought that looked a lot like that uh, Phoenix game. You know the game I'm talking about, right? Because you had yes. a copy of that game. Doesn't that look yes. like Phoenix? Yes, I, I I really liked Phoenix. That was a good game. I liked that one. And you also uh-huh. were you going to mention that the the center of this comic has a Mile High Comics fifty cent bin? Oh yeah, All, I I remember loving those as a kid. I remember going through it and just going, "What? Oh, oh!" All the good ones were never in there. Although you could have <laughs> picked up. You could have picked up uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark one through three for fifty cents a piece. You almost <laughs> I still think could. You still can, yeah. <laughs> Shogun Warriors one through four. I, I was, you know, come to think of it, a lot of this is there's a lot of there's a good amount of Jonah hexes in there too. Hey, Commandy, you could have gotten a bunch of Commandies for yeah, fifty. Yeah, you cents can't touch those for fifty cents anymore. I don't really. Yeah, I don't think so. You used to have a whole bunch of those. I had almost a complete set of command, yeah. and uh, I don't know what I ever did with them, but I didn't. I never appreciated them when I had them, but I, I would definitely. I, I kind of wish I had them back now. It was a nice 50 cent grab. Tomb of Dracula, one through four. Oh, man. 50 cents a piece. That would have been a nice. Uh, kills me. Ugh. <laughs> Blade Runner, one and two. It's funny because there's so much of this list I look at and go, hey, these are still 50 cent books. And then every once in a while, there's something that jumps out and you're like, wow, there's no way you touch that today. Yeah. That's wild. Unbelievable. Well, there's one more video game ad on the uh, the back cover here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Qbert. And this is a cool ad. Yeah. Yeah. Because it has all the systems, including like the Texas Instruments. The Atari, all the the Atari 400, 400, 800. That must have been the like home computer. Oh, the Atari fifty two hundred was out by then because mm-hmm. it's got that. And by far, it looks like the Atari fifty two hundred is the nicest, the most accurate looking one. Oh, I saw. I thought you were gonna say it looks like by far that the shittiest one. Is no, the Atari twenty six hundred is. <laughs> I remember playing this on the Atari twenty six. Because Cubert was another one, was one of the first ones with a really nice 3D look to it mm-hmm. and play to it, and and when and when it translated onto the 2600, it was just like <laughs> it went from it. Remember, he would hop in the game, and on the 2600, he would just sort of disappear and appear on the next, yep. you know, on the next block. ColecoVision always was nice. ColecoVision was like uniformly almost the most faithful adaptions of the the um original mm-hmm. video games. I remember when ColecoVision first came out, they had a real like a awesome version of Donkey Kong. You could play an almost, you know, like playing the video game version of Donkey Kong, especially compared to the shitty ass Atari 2600 Donkey <laughs> Kong, which was just not as bad as Pac-Man, but it was pretty bad. 
Dude, I'm I'm firmly of the opinion that if it wasn't for third-party companies that made some truly awesome games for the 2600, that none hey, of us it, would have fond memories of that system. We might not have our computer games that we have now because people would have been just like, this video game thing is not going anywhere. It kind of sucks. Because, <laughs> yeah, I think those third-party things sort of spurred them on to be like, oh, shit, we better... Uh, Step up our game. Improve. Yeah. yeah. Stop putting but, out E.T. and put out something that was actually worth playing. <laughs> oh, yeah. The whole fucking 15 minutes it must have took him to code up E.T. and get that out <laughs> of the market. The mo- I, I swear to God, the most expensive part of E.T. was the TV ads, you know, where they shone a light on the ground and had, like, E.T., a rubber E.T. hand <laughs> drop the game down or whatever i'll tell you i give them credit for one thing though those the the video game companies back then well they probably still do it today too i hadn't really noticed but they definitely took the comic book approach where they would give you a beautiful beautiful cover to a lot of those <laughs> games to a lot of really and, you know, horrible games yeah if I, if I had been a smarter kid i probably would have realized that the, the you know the the shittiest of the shittiest games had the most beautiful covers on them and i you know one of these someday days, i'll dig it up i've got all my i've i i got a garage sale find where i found somebody had saved all their manuals which have all that cover art on it for all their 2600 games i think I, what was it atari force i think i've even got the atari force comic in there somewhere oh wow those i'm led to believe are, are have actually become uh, kind of valuable because they're hard yeah. to find complete sets no <laughs> i looked them all up they were one of those things that i'm like i'm gonna sell this on ebay and then i got home and i was like nah uh, but then i was like you know what i don't want to sell this on ebay the the pure scent you know nostalgia value of looking at them is pr- almost priceless it's just like all the um all those star wars figures i i got have all the card backs them and i love just awesome. looking at the card backs you know yeah. it's just awesome seeing them again you know have you seen those new star wars figures they're putting out now where it's it's it almost looks newer the same figures but they they're done in like the classic style with the classic card backs those are actually really neat there's a lot of there's a lot of they're doing a lot of retro packaging which is cracks me up because it, to me it's very easy to spot the retro packaging you look at it hey it's brand new Right, you know the the like cardboard hasn't degraded from light and just the radiation of the universe and all that, <laughs> but um, just general entropy. But you look at it and always somewhere they've got some modern little copyrighted symbol or something. And but you know to the people who are kind of dumb and like new to like 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 I'm gonna go to the garage. Hey, that's one of them. Look at that. That's one of them Star Trek models and that things. Oh, look at that. That there is from the original, and they take it home and they put it on Craigslist for nine hundred bucks. You know, it's like original <laughs> star star. I see it some all the time. You know, Star Trek model, very rare in perfect shape, and you know, you blow up the picture and it's like got a two thousand and seven copyright <laughs> on the packaging. It's just like, come on, Gomer, read the box before you buy it. But they're doing a lot of that retro retro packaging. I've seen some Star Trek stuff like that. I saw some, uh, I believe it was um, Lost in Space, 
stuff that was, you know, it, it was it was recreate modern recreations of the toys in the in a recreation of the old box, you know, and stuff like that. See, I'm not a big fan of that though because uh, you know, other than the Star Wars stuff that I've seen recently, I don't. I it's never ever as good because not long ago, um. I don't know if these are a Toys R Us exclusive or if they're coming out at, you know, just toy stores in general, but um, not long ago they started releasing they're basically the old Migos. They're in right, the old right, Migo. Right. Have you seen those? Yes, I have. They suck. They're yes. so ugly looking. They don't I mean, they're only It's like it's Migo-esque, like they try, you know? It's like they tried to make it's like they were like the thing about those original, like we used to make fun of the Migos now, but now that I look at them, I think they're very well. Des- they were very oh, well designed, yes. and yeah. when you look at them now, you're like, "Wow, those are really neat pieces of work." And I think what they did was they were like, "Let's make these awkward and weird, so it looks more retro and stuff." And which, in a way, is kind of uh, kind of snide and and a little right. condescending tor- towards it. Yeah, I noticed that. I was like, yeah, they look kind of cheap, you know? Yep. And, yeah. See, that's the, uh, yeah, cheap sums it up nicely because back when Scotty was about, I don't know, he's probably about four or five, I guess. Um, they, that, there was one of those companies that started to do a lot of the, like, the old ideal toys and stuff. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they released the old uh, Evil Knievel stunt cycle. I have one. I have two Evil Knievel stunt cycles up on eBay right now. Originals or the newer ones? Originals with the crank ramp. They're beat. One of them's beat to shit. One of them's in good shape. The ramp. It, the ramp has burns in it. You know how you would peel out the ramp. Right. Is all, yeah. It, it, it's a well. I'm not gonna get a lot. It's not like if I those things like the original. Not in great condition. And if you got them in the box, they're worth hundreds of dollars. Oh yeah. But sorry, I didn't mean. I'm um, just like, wow, what a coincidence! How often do we talk about evil, evil <laughs> stunt cycles? Well, you know, I, I was so excited to see that thing, and the price wasn't too bad. It was a little high, but it wasn't bad. And so I snapped it up because I was like, you know, my son's gonna have the same toy I had when I was, you know, yeah. I love that thing. Yeah, got it home and and you know hooked it up for him, and he wound it up, let it go, and it ran into something, and the forks broke off. Was it the one where you wound, where you had it on the ramp and wound it, or was it the the pull tab? Which, which kind was it? Was it with the one where you feed the you know the little the little stick through and you pull it out like starting a lawnmower? No, now that you say that, I can't remember. It it may have been that. Now that you say that, I because there were two kinds of those right, things. Yeah, yeah. But one way or the other, the fir- the very first time he did it and let it go and it ran into something and didn't even run into it hard, the forks broke off. So I, you know, packaged it back up and he was devastated, of course. You know, took it back to the store. I had the receipts. So I took it back, replaced it, brought it home. Same thing happened. Forks broke off. Bought it. And I did this like three or four times so before a, I was finally like, just give me a design flaw. Yeah. 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 It was crap. It was, it was brittle plastic so it wasn't really made it was meant to go up on your shelf exactly now these evil knievel stunt cycles i have and and remember that lone ranger that i had a while ago i had to test these with the lone ranger because i didn't have evil knievel but they were roughly the same (laughs) size because you have to have someone on it to for it to go or else it just goes up you know the badass would it be if the lone ranger had a motorcycle had a a motorcycle stunt cycle maybe we should do a comic um (laughs) <laughs> Ghost Rider Lone Ranger combo, but um, 
so I took him out back and, and I was back there with my roommate and I have the ramp where you'd put it on the ramp and you'd wind it and wind it and wind it and then you push a little button and it would unclick and go pchung. and one of the cycles like you know pieces were splintered off of it the kickstand was gone the side panels that you know the decoration were broken right off it was rusty and I said to my roommate watch this is the one that rides like great you know when you put them in it and it did it went straighter and farther and i'm like these kids you know probably took this thing there's a, a melted streak in that ramp where some kid just was revving it and revving it <laughs> till it melted into it like we would have done you know just beating that's why i love this toy i love it more beat up than this because it's got the history of the kids abusing the hell out of it <laughs> and you know pieces are broken off and you know they're running it into brick walls and shit Right, and that and that freaking thing still works to this day. You can put the the ramp; it has cracks in it and stuff. But you can put that thing in the ramp. You can, but but if you also recall, those stunt cycles were all kinds of sixty minutes controversy back in the day too, because the ads had the kids. They're like, you can pull a wheelie, and they were jumping ramps and doing all these mm -hmm. stunts. And when you got them, you could basically, if you were good, you could get them to go in a straight line and crash into something. Right. Mostly, <laughs> it would just wipe out Like Evil Knievel, it would more often wipe out spectacularly <laughs> and do the... And so there were all these 60 minutes things of all these kids who were crying because they couldn't do the wheelies and stuff. But most kids were happy with just like, you know beating them against a wall till they got bored with it and then putting firecrackers in it and launching it and right. it up, you know? And, but the thing is, this thing was made to withstand that. And I could take that probably out in my backyard and still beat the hell out of it for days and days and days and it, it would still work, but... What's hysterical is that, that that story actually applies to me because I remember being devastated when I finally got the uh, Evil Knievel stunt van. And the ads uh, of the comics showed where when he jumped the stunt van, he was supposed to do a backflip on his motorcycle and mm -hmm. land perfectly on the other side and keep going. You couldn't really do that in real life. You, you were lucky oh, if you stayed could. on the bike when he you hit. Could. You could, but you would have to do it 8 million times and the wind would have to be just right. And the <laughs> right. universe would have to come, planets come into alignment and then it would do it while you were blinking, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it was, you know, you know that those were, you know, there were people there who were, like, trained professionals, like, and the cameramen and stuff, and, like, you know, they, they, they'd set the thing off and then throw the kids in to go, Wee! <laughs> go, Evil Knievel! What a shitty role model Evil Knievel was. I love Evil Knievel. Oh, he was awesome. <laughs> I was going to say, we need more role models like that but we got the, the jackass guys are basically just doing the same thing revved up into you know into whatever 21st century nah, stuff. I don't think the world produces people like Evil Knievel anymore oh, come on Evil Knievel was one of those guys like I'm gonna jump the canyon and everybody's like it wasn't just about the stunts I mean you know yeah that was cool and everything but it was it his was a show just, his it was a show and was people so loved Evil Knievel too but at the same time people were like oh I'm gonna watch this dumb fucker burn I'm just gonna watch him fucking <laughs> smash himself like the coyote on the side of it <laughs> except unlike the coyote he's 
going to blow up and be blow, you know, burned to charred meat instead of getting up with a sign that says ouch or something, you know, <laughs> there, you know, there was a strong element of that. In it. And, you know, and, and he d- delivered on that. I remember that jump he did in the, in a, you know, it's infamous that he did in, inside that stadium. And then he, you know, he jumped all those cars, he made it. And then he hits the end of the ramp and just like, you know, gets, you know, breaks every bone in his body, you know, basically just rolls, you know, with his bones shattering inside of his torso and everybody going, yes, <laughs> no, yes. <laughs> Poor evil can evil. So go on eBay. Well, by the time you hear this, it's, it'll be gone. But, <laughs> well, this one I- goes up Monday, so maybe not. It was an awesome, awesome ad for my Evil Knievel stunt cycle. <laughs> Brought to you by the Evil Knievel stunt cycle on eBay. Username Pure Evil Panord. Systems. Distinctive by design. Baker 61, by David, design. take two. By design. Camera. By design. Parker. By design. Action. By design. Rocket System Sound Library. Laser Sword Tape. Dolby Tone. Magnetic Reference Laboratory. Reproducer Test Tape. 1000 Hertz at Reference Fluxivity. Sound design has always existed since we've had sound film. Let me transfer you to Ben Burton, Gary Summers. Someone has always been responsible for deciding what was going to be in the soundtrack. I mean, I think the main thing with sound design is that you start earlier in the project and you follow the project all the way through. That's really how sound design works. The term sound design started getting some use um, about five or six years ago by people such as uh, myself and a few others who were doing both sound editing and mixing. The things we do are done on other films. We record sounds, so you had recording, we edit sounds, you had sound editing, we mix sounds, you had sound mixing, and there were three separate teams of people generally on film. The way we like to do it, and I think it's better this way, is that one person supervises the concept all the way through or, or makes sure that the continuity continues. You should talk to Tom Kobayashi. Let me try his line for you. It's like building a house. I mean, you know, it's like, uh, it's nice to have the interior decorator start when you start construction so that you know that you're going to do coverings here or wallpaper over here. And those decisions are made as you go along. You're going to have a more put-together house. Hi, Randy. I have a call for you. A director may say to me when we're looking at a scene in the film, um, see this guy come out of this house and get in the car and take off. Oh, we need some sound there. I may go away and make a recording of a car that's about like that car that I see on the screen doing those things, backing up and driving off. 
I play that for the director, and the director says, well, yeah, that's that kind of car, but this guy's a killer. You know, that's, this is not the point we're making. And what he means is that it's important to the director that every possible thing in that scene reinforce the idea that this guy is a villain. So the car that he gets in probably needs to sound a little more vicious than an actual 68 Chevy Impala. And very, very few people will ever say to me after looking at a film, those tire squeals were ridiculous. That would never happen in reality. People believe it. And that's one of the big powers that sound has, I think, in film. Another power sound has is that you can you know, put different sounds together, work with them, and create whole new sounds. It's like an additive art form. The moment that I saw a painting of the lightsaber, I think that part of the what I saw was some was based on some sounds in the very old Flash Gordon serials, actually. Slim cats. Yes, but our only one. I discovered that there was a motor on a projector a movie projector at USC, um, which made almost that proper sound of the old Flash Gordon serials. It might have even been a, a motor that they recorded. So I recorded that. And uh, then I felt that that really wasn't quite right, though, because the, I felt that it didn't have a feeling of scintillation to it, sort of a sparkling aspect it didn't have. It had just a buzz. So um, I recorded some static in the back of the television set I had at the time, by placing a, uh, a condenser microphone very near the back of the picture tube, and you actually picked up a very nasty buzz. And I took that sputtering sound and the hum of this motor on the projector and combined the two, just mixed them together uh, on two tracks of the tape recorder. This was the basic sound from which all the lightsaber noises were then derived. The movements of the swords uh, were created by playing that sound over a speaker in a room then re-recording the sound with a handheld microphone, which could be waved around and moved around in front of the speaker, which was playing this hum. And you could whiz the microphone by the speaker very quickly and get a as it like it went by. And it was this aspect of giving the sound some dynamics, which helped it really to seem like it really belonged with the swords when it was finally synchronized with the visuals. In short, I think what's best about Sprockets is the people here. When media people come, people from television especially, to do stories about Lucasfilm, the easiest thing for them to grab onto is always high-tech and uh, equipment and knobs and dials and digital. And, and I've always thought that was a shame because we have all of that here, it's true, but machines are stupid compared to people, and they will be for a long time. Sprocket Systems. Distinctive by design. Okay, folks, it's a wrap. Welcome back to Star Wars Monthly Monday, number 38. Eight and this time around, Mr. Chris Honeywell is going to give yes. you the skinny on Star Wars number eighty-three. See, we just switched those numbers around. Yes, we did. Oh, that's that's uh, fun. that's true. We just we planned it that way. 
All right, this no, is uh, <laughs> this is Star Wars '83, and it uh, has a nice Bob McCloud cover with <laughs> once again Lando Calrissian plunging <laughs> from a very high place <laughs> while being shot at. <laughs> the second time we've seen, there's something about that that makes a good cover for, but it's a really nice cover. It's a uh, very Al Williamson-y, um, just just be <laughs> the look on Lando's faces. Let's say just say priceless. It's... I can just hear him going. <laughs> well, yeah, this time, yeah, this time he's not going. Yeah, as he falls, but his face says it all. He's getting used to it. He doesn't. He doesn't scream as much when they toss him out of high places. <laughs> all right, so this is Star Wars '83 from May of 1984. Uh, Sixty cent cover price. Um, the story is by Linda Grant, who I assume is the daughter of Lou Grant. Um, and this issue, we've got Bob McCloud doing art and lettering. So penciling, inking, and lettering. All the visuals are Bob McCloud. And, uh, of course, Glennis Wine doing the coloring, as usual. Louise Jones is the editor, and Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief. Same, same general crew there. So... This one starts out just like right in the middle of the story where, where Lando has gone to the planet Drogiga to do a mysterious job for an old flame, Queen Sarna. Upon arrival, which we don't even see, the, but you know, upon arriving there, he and, he and her sister Danu, who's come to greet him, narrowly avoid being killed by uh, revolutionary insurgents. And they're sort of saved at the last minute from a, a cliffhanger by uh, Harlech, the leader of the Queen's Royal Guard, who also turns out to be sort of a royal douche, as it turns out. So it seems that the uh, Queen wants Lando to quell an insurgency. Sort of, this is sort of like uh, the gas passers in Star Trek, where, uh, you know, there's a bunch of minor insurgent miners, and she wants to put the lid on them. And, and he reluctantly agrees after the queen uses a little bit of uh, lip-to-lip persuasion. <laughs> so uh, Lando plans to, uh, you know, an attack on the revolutionaries, and and as I said, they're holed up in a mine shaft. He plans it as sort of a a, a bloodless capture of of the uh, of the rebels, or as much of a bloodless capture as possible. So he, what what he does is he puts a whole revolution uh, the revolutionary guard. Now I'm talking like what was that Iraq. The uh, royal guard out in front of the mine shaft, and he sneaks in through the back way. And his plan is to plant uh, a bomb on on their water storage tanks and just sort of flush them out. Well, he gets a bomb planted, but then he uh, he gets his wish of flushing them out sort of prematurely granted when the insurgents surprise him and accidentally set off the bomb in a struggle. And so they're all washed out into the into the hands of the royal guards, who just begin. Uh, slaughtering them against Lando's orders. As a matter of fact, they almost shoot Lando, too, because he's not in the uniform. So, now Lando's pissed. Um, later he gets a chance to question one of the captured rebels, and uh, and Lando starts using a little uh, a, bi- a bit of psychology by giving the guy an empty blaster to, to build trust to find out what's going on, and, and Lando's already starting to question his loyalty to uh, Sarna, and and smell a rat because you, you know they're they're violently putting these people down. So he's starting to get this guy started side of the story when um, 
in in comes Harmac and uh, and just shoots the guy dead. So you know now now Lando just goes and tells the queen to you know basically piss up a rope. He's done with this this whole <laughs> this whole thing, you know and. Uh, and you know he he had gone to have a drink and think about it, and he'd heard people talking about how the rebels basically wanted democracy. So he's like, "I'm, I'm here to to uh, keep a, a democracy from happening. No, it's not happening like this." So, so he goes and tells the queen he's done with it. And so as soon as she hears that, you know she she decides, "Okay, I'm done with you too," and orders uh, Harlek to take him and and kill him. Lando, of course, runs off, and in in the ensuing chase, he's sort of grabbed by Danu, the queen's sister, who it turns out all the time has been working for the rebels. Oh, I didn't see that coming. No, not at all, especially since she knew the rebel leader's name when uh, when the guy shot him. So Lando's, they're sort of using Lando as a distraction, so he... He takes the royal guard on a on a merry chase with you know their sky cycles, until at the very end he manages to crash right into the queen's throne room and take her hostage. And and uh, Harlack very generously offers to just off Lando and the queen and just say fuck it, I'm king now. But Danu shows up, of course, with the cavalry and uh, and Lando gets a blast off and stuns Harlack. And um, basically, Dan- Danu now tells Lando to basically take off and uh, and as a matter of fact she'll pay him some extra money to take the goddamn queen with him and uh, <laughs> so Lando you know Lando's got history with this queen but he reluctantly agrees at the uh, sound of money as a matter of fact you actually see in his brain it goes money and uh, and he leaves with uh, planning to dump the scheming Sarna off on the next available inhabited planet and uh, so it's sort of setting up a possible maybe romance with, with Lando in the future, or a new character or something. Um, I really like this comic. Really? Yes. Okay. Not, not insane. I, I like the, I like McLeod's art for what? Oh yeah. It's yeah. very reminiscent of Al Williamson. Um, again, this is, this is the, the point I was going to make last time, but I sort of wanted to couple it in with this. I like this idea of when when this first starts out, it, it it literally starts out Lando's you know in a sky speeder being chased by the revolutionaries, and you know you're like who's he talking? You know I was like did I accidentally grab two issues ahead or something? Because right. what's going on here? <laughs> and then I'm like no no it's just explaining the story as it as it goes on, but it starts right out in it. And I was thinking this story could take place and this could be like an old, you know, just a, one of Lando Calrissian's tales from the past or something. And that got me to thinking, you know, I sort of wish they would have taken maybe a, like at this point, they could have almost started going in a Star Wars tales approach, you know, and doing a, a story about Luke Skywalker as a kid some old Lando stories, some old Lando oh, well, stories with stick, Han Solo. Stick around, you're going to get your wish with, with yeah, at least but one but it's, but it's, yeah, but it's not, they, they didn't approach it like that. They didn't approach it with that in, intent. Like you said, a lot of them were just sort of like fill-in stories and stuff like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, you know, were they, were they really, and, and, and I liked it. It was sort of a, a, a little pocket story. It was very predictable. Yes. But, um, 
yeah i i i just i i like it it's a continuation of the last one where you know you just sort of have a different adventure on a different planet and i like lando's character in this i like lando's personality in it i like how he's i'm sort of starting to see in the comic in this issue lando being groomed to be the new han solo even though we still have han solo you can't do anything with him Technically, you can't really do anything with Lando because he's a canon canonical character too. Right. But as far as story arc goes, he's not as boring as Han Solo is now. Han Solo's domesticated and and you know matured, and Lando they've turned up his maturity now to where well he uh, it, it never says that he was really actively immoral, but. You know, he's he's acting with a conscience and with a responsibility to the rebellion now, but he's still like, hmm, money, you know? Right. Oh, ladies. Hi, ladies. He's still more of a rogue, whereas whereas yes. Khan's kind of respectable now. So he can in the comics sort of take that place of the of that character. And it seems like they were sort of like grooming him, maybe even um Rick from the last one, you know, Rick with Donnie, um, what's his name? I want, I keep wanting to call him Rick Danger, but Rick Duel, <laughs> Rick Duel, but um, you you know to have and and Rick Duel was even calling Luke Kid in the last one, so I think they were trying to build a few little you know Han Solo roguey characters to throw in there so they could have that element because they really couldn't do it with Han Solo as much anyway without with it you know without it not making sense to although they, that was sort of last time a couple of the stories we were talking about Han Solo sort of regressed back to his right old scoundrel days but that was also in an that was sort of a midlife crisis story too. <laughs> so <laughs> but um but i i i you know the 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 story's weak but i like where they're going with the whole idea of post jedi you know, now they're starting to sort of dig in post-Jedi and at this point thinking post-all Star Wars movies, you know? Right. So, and it's working. You know, as it goes on, we'll see, you know, if it works as well. And and as it goes on, it also eventually gets back to the linear storyline-ness of it. Right more of the linear storyline-ness of it instead of everybody sort of off in their own direction doing different things. But um, I I didn't think I was going to... Well, I, actually, I was sort of thinking I was going to enjoy it because as soon as I picked it up, I'm like, oh, that's right, Bob McCloud. So I was I was really happy about that. And I'd totally forgotten that he did the, the, the New Mutants until I saw... One of the the shots of uh, Lando's face in here, and I was just like, "Oh, that's a Bob McCloud." Oh yeah, that's right, it's a Bob McCloud face. I could be wrong, but I think this was the specific issue that he was referencing on Facebook. Um, this was a couple months back, but he was uh, he was showcasing some of his art on Facebook, and there was an issue of his run on star Wars that he was talking about. I'm pretty sure it was from this issue. It may even have been the cover to this issue. I forget. And I commented on it. And then that began a dialogue uh, between the two of us. 
I need to follow up on that because he was very interested in coming on the show and talking about his uh, his work on Star Wars. That would you know, be really cool. I really want to have him, but I've been putting that off, even with this being the first full blown issue of his work on Star you know, on this title. I've been putting that off because there's a specific uh, issue um, that I want to have him in on, mm. you know, when when we get to it. So I, I, I'm going to uh, continue to wait on that for now. But uh, yeah, I'm going to start pursuing that again and hopefully get him in. Because uh, yeah, I don't want to seem harsh on the issue and, and have it be a negative reflection on him because his art's fantastic. I've yes. always been a Bob McCloud fan. His art's great. I loved his run. Um, there was a, it was a few, you know, quite a number of years after, maybe as many as, uh, maybe as many as 10 years after this, he worked on Superman for a time, right around the time when, uh, when, uh, Superman revealed his secret identity to Lois Lane and all that, you know, just prior to the death of Superman, love his stuff. He, he's just a hell of an artist. I've always been a fan of like his new mutant stuff and everything. And I like the art in this issue. That said, I was kind of dreading getting to this issue because I just remembered not liking this one when I was a kid. I like it a little better on a reread now, but only a little bit. It's just, frankly, mm-hmm. it's kind of boring. The art's gorgeous, but the story's just kind of lame. And it's, as you said, it's incredibly predictable. You've got, you know, this this goofy plot that we've you know heard a thousand times before. You've got your obvious mole. And then you've even got the decoy yeah. character who's thrown at you that you're supposed to think, oh, maybe it's this guy, when you know it's not. You know, you mm-hmm. already know. You've got the whole thing figured out before it's all handed but to you on a silver to a, platter. To a 12-year-old kid, 10-year-old kid, though. Right, this is true. The, 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 you know, this would be a nice little, you know, introduction to political intrigue. It's your just basic political intrigue story. As soon as you see the two sisters together... Mm-hmm. And the way they interact, you know they're at odds. And the one sister's like, ooh, I like this Lando. And she's like, hands off, he's mine. Right. And then, and then just, just a side note, I like that in this comic, okay, and this was something that happened in the 80s a lot. It still happens today. It happens more today in commercials. But when you see, like, all right, Lando's about to get, get some uh, action in this. He's got two ladies interested, and they're both white ladies. I love it. Because it, you ever notice, like, in comics and commercials and stuff and sitcoms and stuff, you'd have a group of friends, and and they might have one black friend, and he's always got, like, the black girlfriend, mm-hmm. you know? And everybody else around him is white, but it's like, okay, well, he went out and, like, okay, time to get myself a black girlfriend. Instead of what people do is they you know usually find their 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 girlfriends or mates or whatever from their social group or you know uh so and 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 whenever you would see that in a commercial or something it just showed you that somebody was being aware of it you know they were like ah i don't know if i want to go there into an you know they might not ne- necessarily been against an interracial relationship but they didn't want to like offend anybody or start it to be a or make the story be about that or whatever but it's just disregarded in this it's just lando being like hello (laughs) and there's like several times where they're like you know well let's talk business then there'll be plenty of time to have some wine and uh discuss you know old times (laughs) so i like that especially in the 80s that it was just sort of it's just 
thrown out there that Lando, yeah, Lando just gets it wherever Lando can get it. <laughs> and it pisses me off that Luke still won't get a little bit from that goddamn Zeltron. Jeez, <laughs> what is the matter with him? Yeah, he's still. It was last her issue, away. and I'm yeah. Gee whiz. <laughs> Ultimately, though, um, as I said, I, I think the story is just kind of meh. It, it's a little too Flash Gordony for me. Uh, well, it, it's got a very Flash Gordon look, and the, the costumes and stuff are right. very much like that. It, it doesn't feel terribly Star Wars to me. Although it does feel very uh, Lando Calrissian to me. And what I mean by that is um, I- I've had these sitting uh, up here on the shelf for literally months now. But I've just been looking for the, the right time and opportunity to-, to get a chance to discuss them a little bit on uh, Star Wars Monthly oh. Monday. Not long ago in my uh, read-through of the uh, Star Wars EU I had a chance to reread the Lando Calrissian trilogy from way back. This is what year did these books come out? Let's see. I actually have the originals. Oh, was it, was it like 82 or something? Yeah. 1983. Uh, oh, let's see. The first one came out in July of 83. Let's see. When did the last one come out? This was probably 84. I would imagine. Uh, no, December 83. So they were all in 1983, all three books. Um, so yeah, I, I dug these out and I reread them, and it's uh, they're all by uh, L. Neil Smith, and the three books are uh, Lando Calrissian and the Mine Harp of Sheru, the Flame Wind of Oceon, and the Star Cave of Thon Baca. And I, I, I'm going to say that uh, they're very they're, Indiana Jones style. Yeah, very much so. But they're you know they're very much like this issue that we just covered because. I feel like the character of Lando is is pretty perfectly captured in the story. Yet the story and even kind of the universe, if you will, that he's in, not terribly Star Wars-ish, right. you know? So it's it's a, it's this weird dichotomy of the character feeling very true to the character, yet the world around him doesn't feel true to the world of Star Wars. Um I love these books when I was a kid. I don't know what it was about them, but I really, really enjoyed them. And I've kept them all these years and, you know, I had always intended to reread them and just didn't. So getting to reread them again, it was, it was cool. It was like visiting an old friend, you know, it was, it was actually a lot of fun because I like Lando and he has a, a, a little droid companion in this trilogy called Vuffy yes. Ra, who I always liked. I always thought Vuffy Ra was a very interesting little character. And the only other, I guess you could kind of consider it a character. The only other recognizable character is this is in the days when Lando still owned the Millennium Falcon. So he's tooling around the galaxy in the Millennium Falcon. That's pretty neat. And so it's kind of the the solo adventures of, of Lando Calrissian is basically what it comes down to. Unlike the Calrissian adventures of Han Solo. <laughs> so it's, you know, the first book is very strange it's really not star wars at all it's uh just this weird adventure where where through circumstances lando's kind of pressed into service to basically act as kind of an indiana jones type character to go after this this sacred artifact 
but it, it's, you know, of course, it's necessary to read that book because it sets up everything that's going to happen for the rest of the trilogy. And it's our introduction to the villain of the piece, who is actually one of my favorite Star Wars villains, a, a character called Rooker Gepta. And he's really cool. He's obviously the Darth Vader stand in for the story, but he's just similar and dissimilar enough from Vader to be a really interesting and unique character of his own. But the lar- the first book, you know, largely forgettable. It's it's not a great book. It's not a bad book, but it's just, you know, it's kind of there. The second book, the the Flame Wind of Ocean, I love this. This is the Empire Strikes Back of this trilogy. It's really good. The tension ramps up the uh pursuit of Lando Calrissian by Rucker Gepta really ramps up in this book because by what happens in the first book, now this character wants Lando. He wants revenge. He wants to capture him. He wants his head on a plate. He wants to humiliate him and he wants to kill him. And he actually captures Lando in the second book. And one of the best, probably the best actually sequence of the entire trilogy is when Rooker Gepta finally gets his hands on Lando and he does humiliate him and he tortures him and it's brutal. I mean, he really puts Lando through the ringer and it's a, it's an interesting arc for both his character and for Lando's it's, it's really well written and well done. And it's painful in some instances to read what he does to Lando because you really come to like Lando's character as this kind of, carefree scoundrel rogue you know but suddenly when it's real you know when when there's real danger and a real threat to the character you feel for him and and you actually get sucked into all right how's he going to get out of for one how's he going to survive this but then how's he going to possibly get out of this and so the second book really generates you know genuine thrills and and interest as far as you know being a page turner you know how's lando gonna get through this arc. And then the last book, honestly, I don't like the last book. The last book really, really reads like a Star Trek story. It's, uh, it involves these space faring, like whale type creatures that Lando makes friends with. And it just, it's, it's not bad. Again, you know, none of the books are bad, it's just, it's the least, to me anyway, it's the least interesting, it's the least thrilling, and it's the least Star Wars uh, of the three books. And the resolution and how the characters are left at the end of it is just very unsatisfying, particularly Buffy Raw. He has a, a big revelation and, and kind of a big character development in the end of uh, the last book that just kind of comes out of left field and leaves you going... Uh, huh? Did I really just, (laughs) you know, so, um, you know, a word of, you know, like I say, a word of caution going in, it's, it's not star Wars as we know star Wars, but again, you know, if, if, if you're a child of, you know, early star Wars, you know, if you, you know, like Chris and I grew up on star Wars and you read some of the wackier stuff, you know, like the Russ Manning newspaper strips or, you know, some of the, the Star Wars UK material or, you know, even some of the earlier issues of Marvel Star Wars. So you're used to Star Wars being a little strange and, you know, 
science fictiony, a little too Star Trekky around the edges, then you might, you know, you might be able to get through it and and find the good that's in it because they are, you know, they're solid books. Um, so yeah, that's uh, kind of my off the cuff review of the original Lando Calrissian trilogy. And as I say, I only said that because this issue eighty three really put me in mind of those uh lando books because that's just the vibe i got off of it but um yeah i mean did they ever make a comic out of those you know i don't i don't think they have and it's a shame yeah i think that they would be really good i think possibly that um there may have been store uh, a story or stories from that era that may have wound up in star wars tales because if you go to wikipedia and look up Rucker Gepta. There's some artwork in there for him that oh. I don't know where it's called from. You know, I don't know if it's from a comic or from you somebody know, just yeah pulled it out their ass. <laughs> so you know, I, I'm thinking that maybe there's you know a, a story out there you know somewhere in in the Dark Horse material that touches on that character. But uh, he, I think he was cool. You know, I think he was a very interesting. He's basically he was this immortal sorcerer he was like a uh like an evil wizard basically that just gets on uh you know lando gets on his bats you know just gets on lando gets on his nerves (laughs) yeah and uh and you know becomes you know this becomes the foil and it's a great dynamic because it's it's almost like a um it's almost like a, a, a Doctor Doom Spider-Man dynamic, you know, where you've got the, you know, the very uh, regal bad guy, you know, who who fancies himself as being, you know, a, a better and above a Doctor Evil type, yeah, yeah. a uh, mastermind type. Yeah. And then you've got the, you know, the the, you know, wisecracker. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the word. What is it? The lucky. Um, I'm blanking on the word I want to use, but you know the the lucky easy charms. Go, you know the easy go lucky. Oh, happy go lucky. Happy go lucky. That's it. Happy go lucky. You know, seat of the pants, wisecracking. You know, adventurer who always manages to foil him through through no specific skill or planning. It just happens that way, and that's kind of what keeps you going through those books. Is is Rucker Gepta just getting more and more uh, frustrated with that situation that why can't I kill this guy? You know, <laughs> you know, here I am thousands of years old and you know, I've, I've destroyed, you know, men so much better than this guy. You know, it, it turns out, you know, we learn, we end up learning a whole lot about Gepta over the course of that trilogy to a point where you learn that he, he basically, um, you know, annihilated his own race. So, I mean, here's a guy who's, you know, actually in a lot of ways more powerful than Vader and the Emperor put together. And mm-hmm. it has been a has been a, you know, a powerhouse and a mastermind for thousands of years. Yet he's stymied by Lando Calrissian, you know, who's, you know, nobody really. He's, yeah, which must drive him nuts. It yeah. drives him crazy. And that's that's the that's kind of the that's the catch. You know, that's the cool. At least that was the thing I found to be the, the most interesting thing in the trilogy was that dynamic and and wanting to see how that was going to play out. And I think it plays out very interestingly. So, 
that's pretty much all I got on this. Um, like I say, not a bad issue, but uh, I, you know, I'm I'm kind of glad that, I, to my recollection anyway, I don't think we get too many more uh, single Lando stories like this. And you know, the the Linda, uh, what was her name, Linda Grant was not a name I recognized at all. I actually had to look that up because I was like, Ooh, I do not recognize this. And all, all I could really find on her is that she also worked on um, Dazzler for Marvel, and she did mm. a handful of issues of uh, The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. And going strictly by issue numbers and, t- and story titles and what little I can remember of reading that, I don't think that they were any of the better issues of Further Adventures. So, you know... I was just thinking, maybe I like this more because there was the possibility of Lando having a three-way with a couple sisters in it. <laughs> well, Dan just is throwing that a nice there. rack. I mean, she's got one of those classic sci-fi... Well, you've got the blonde that. sister, mm-hmm. and you've got the, the raven-haired sister, mm-hmm. and there's a little bit of tension between the two of them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I but th- think- that's okay. Lando can... Lando can tame that tension. You know what I just realized? One major uh, bonus about this particular issue, it has page numbers. That's awesome. Oh my god, you're right. We have not seen page numbers in Star Wars in quite some time. So if you go to page 7 and look at the top two panels on page 7 right there, uh, I I like Dan for, for two very big obvious reasons. So... Yeah. And in, in any porno movie, that first uh, see the second second panel where the one sister's talking, where Danu's talking. Mm-hmm. If it was a porno comic, they'd be making out by there. <laughs> <laughs> that one's for the hair metal hero. You know who's gonna love this episode? The irredeemable shag. We've already mentioned Doctor Who, and there's been hoojibs in it. <laughs> Send him an email to listen in. Because I'm pretty sure he only listens to anything that he's actually on. Or mentioned. Oh, really? Oh, is that the way it is, Shag? Yeah. Well, I'm the same way, i got to be honest. (laughs) Not me. I just don't listen to anything. (laughs) Well, that's pretty much all I got. Um, You got anything else before we close this bad boy out? No, that's about all I got on... uh on this issue um yeah that's all i can really think of i think we've uh um oh there uh, i forgot about page 13 what about that guy with the goggles what about those goggles yeah it reminds me of something but i don't know what it is but it's not good (laughs) 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 i guess that's all i got left (laughs) on that issue cheesy goggles they, they were almost like trying to maybe simulate the luke on tattooing goggles but those were cool goggles that he had yeah, These I, don't, just... I don't know what's up with that you're right though he does look it does it looks like something and i can't put my finger yeah, on it it is reminiscent of something but yeah you're right i don't maybe I... elton john i don't know <laughs> It looks like maybe a, a big pair plastic of, of John. Plastic Man, yes, you're right. <laughs> it's a combination of Plastic Man, Elton John, and God knows that's not a good combination. <laughs> well, 
Well, hey guys, by the time you're hearing this episode, within just a few days, uh, the first of the uh, Star Wars 3D movies will be hitting theaters. So uh, get out there and uh, support your Star Wars. Get out and watch uh, Star Wars re-released to theaters. Well, this is one. This is one they don't have to worry about people bootlegging. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine, like somebody downloading, you know, the the episode one through a cam, you know, through a camcorder from Russia with the 3D effects on it that you can't see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a guaranteed, guaranteed get them to the theater. So we don't have to plug Lucas. It's a done deal. I'm there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there whining about how they don't want to pay him any money anymore and blah 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 but they're still gonna go <laughs> i'm just not gonna whine i'll hand it over I haven't, I haven't last time i spent movie money on a star wars movie in a theater was clone wars so i'm ready mm-hmm. i'm ready and plus i want to find out I, i'm 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 not like pumped pumped up for this but i'm pretty excited about it but I'm just sort of, I, I want to get an idea of what episode four is going to look like. You know, that's the one I'm, I, uh, actually, Empire, I really, I, Empire could be really beautiful with tasteful 3D, especially Cloud City and, uh, yeah. and Vader and Luke's fight at the end and Luke falling down into the chasm. And so there's a lot of, ri- oh, geez, and, you know, the, the, um, the Walker battle and all that, you know, Empire, Empire will, will fare very well on the 3D. It's got, you know, asteroid belts and, and all that asteroid fields. So that's what I'm really waiting for. So that's like, well, I, is he going to release one, one every year? Is that how it's going to be or something? Oh, is that what he, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Every couple of months or something. Oh, that would be, that would be, that would be preferable. Yes. Then it won't be too long to wait for Star Wars, but. I don't yeah and and plus you know by the time episode 4 comes out he'll have tweaked the 3D process a little more and it'll probably be a little better than episode 1 you know episode 1 will be the tester like the like the like the prequels mm-hmm. so I'm 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 more jazzed on a technical level to go and see okay is this going to be successful transforming it into 3D in post I know they've been working on it for a long time because I've got those Star Wars 3D cards and I remember reading about how those sort of came about through them modeling stuff for 3D, you know, for a potential 3D release. Oh, really? Yeah, that they were doing some, you know, work taking stills of Star Wars and making them 3D and said, we should do lenticular cards of this. And uh, I guess that's that's how that sort of happened. So they've been working on it for a while, and I'm I'm curious, you know. I, I'm 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 also resigned to the fact that it's going to be the, the you know the the fiddled with versions, and they'll probably even be further fiddling with it. So that'll be interesting too to see right how they fiddle with it even after the Blu-ray fiddles, and you know they're going to be in there too. I'm looking so forward to it. I, I am yeah. too. I am too. I haven't been in a movie theater in a little while, so um, worth the bus trip. And well, I'm gonna steal my glasses, god damn it! <laughs> oh, you have to pay extra for them. I don't think it's stealing at all if you decide you want to keep them. I've never seen anybody trying to like grab them out of your hands when you leave. 
right. and I'd like to see him try. Yeah, if I'm if I'm paying that inflated price, I'm keeping the glasses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Either that, or you're keeping a part of the usher's skull. He can choose. <laughs>
attention to the following safety information. When the automatic doors have opened, please proceed directly across the ramp into the cabin. Continue to move all the way across your aisle, filling in every available seat. Galactic regulations require that all carry-on items be safely stowed beneath your seats. To fasten your restraint, use the yellow strap to pull the belt out from the right side of the seat and snap the belt into the buckle on your left. For your safety, remain seated throughout your flight with your restraints securely fastened. And please watch your children. Para su seguridad, permanezcan sentados con el cinturón de seguridad ajustado y cuiden a los pequeñitos. Do not put on your flight glasses until instructed to do so by a crew member. One final reminder, smoking and photography are never permitted on any Star Tours flight. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to ask a Star Tours agent. You'll be boarding in just a few moments. Thank you. Travelers, we have just a few more safety checks and then we're going to get you on your flight. If you have not done so already, please fasten your safety restraints from right to left. Okay. If I could have everyone give a tug on those yellow safety tabs for me, please. Everyone give a tug on those yellow safety tabs. At this time, you can put on your flight glasses. Thank you for choosing Star Tours and enjoy your flight. Initiate takeoff sequence. What? Auto takeoff sequence initiated. Auto D2, what's going on here? We are not ready for takeoff. The captain isn't on board yet. You never can't find this thing. 
No, neither can you. We need a proper pilot.
Please remain seated until the captain has opened the exit doors. You may then unlatch your safety restraints by pressing the release button on your left. Make sure you have all your personal belongings as you exit. Thank you for flying Star Tours. Bye-bye. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.